0: Good morning everyone. It's nice to see all of you again. I always enjoy uh, getting to to come out here and and spend time and and worship with everyone here at Trinity, uh, especially uh, this Sunday. It's the the last Sunday of 2023. Uh, And usually when I have an opportunity to to preach on the the Sunday uh, around New Year's, uh, so many of us are, are are trying to we want to to be a better us for the the new year, right? Uh, and so I like to to focus uh my my thoughts, my heart, even even the the, the things that I teach. I like to focus on how, how can we challenge ourselves with the new year and so this morning i 'm going to be preaching out of First Timothy chapter three, which typically addresses elders and deacons. But as I'm going to point out this morning, that this is a word that is good for all of us as believers, not just uh, those who lead in the church, but all of us who carry the name of Christ. And so uh, hear now this word uh, from First Timothy chapter 3. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world taken up in glory. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning um, honestly weary from a uh, a long year. Uh, For so many, this has been a a year of of struggles and trials and tests. Uh, for, For some, there were times to rejoice, and for some, there were times to weep. And yet, we look forward to this new year with hope. This very Sunday as we sit under your word and we sit uh, anticipating your spirit, Lord, we ask that you would be our hope. Not that we would hope in ourselves for a new year, not that we would hope uh, in, in being better people, that, but that we would hope in the promises of you and your word and your kingdom. So speak now to us. Use a broken vessel like myself to communicate your truth and to to proclaim the gospel and the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. In 1997, there was a journalist for the Chicago Tribune named Mary Schmeek, and she wrote an article titled, Advice Like Youth is Probably Just Wasted on the Young. And this article reads like a five-minute graduation commencement speech. It later gained notoriety onto the, on the Internet to the point where uh, there was an artist who took the content of the article and used it as lyrics for a hit song in 99. And the article began in this way. I won't read the, the entire thing, but I'll share a few excerpts. Ladies and gentlemen of the class of 97, wear Wear sunscreen. If I could offer you only one tip for the future, sunscreen would be it. The long-term benefits of sunscreen have been proved by scientists, whereas the rest of my advice has no basis more reliable than my own meandering experience. I will dispense this advice now. And Mary Schmeek goes on to share several pieces of advice, such as, don't worry about the future. Or worry, but know that worrying is as effective as trying to solve an algebra equation by chewing bubblegum. The real troubles in your life are apt to be things that never crossed your worried mind, the kind that blindside you at 4 p.m. on some idle Tuesday. She also shares, remember compliments you receive. Forget the insults. If you succeed in doing this, tell me how. Accept certain inalienable truths. Prices will rise, Politicians will philander, and you too will get old. And when you do, you'll fantasize that when you were young, prices were reasonable, politicians were noble, and children respected their elders. Respect your elders. And then she ends with this. But trust me on the sunscreen. Now this article reads like a, a quirky, bit of anecdotal advice it's fun to take in pieces and in fact some of it you hear and you you might even say I wish someone had told me that and sometimes someone probably did and you just didn't listen but here Paul is giving Christians advice on how to live their lives on how to live a Christian godly life This passage, as I mentioned, is specifically addressed to elders and deacons. But it's written in such a way that all Christians are called to live lives of humility. Not just leaders and and those in positions of authority, but all believers in Christ are called to live lives of humility. And this is one of the great things that I love about Paul because he, he explicitly tells you, this is why I'm writing he says, I'm writing these things to you so that, if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. He, he straight up tells us, this is why I'm writing this to you. Now, there are cultural distinctions between the first century church and the 21st century church, and sometimes we struggle with how to apply some of the things that are written in Scripture, but we never have to question why these things were written. He says that these things were written for us to know how to live. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. This is why it applies to all of us. It's important knowledge for all Christians. How, leaders are, how they're supposed to conduct their lives, how, how they're supposed to live, and the things we're called to look for in our leaders. And the first thing that Paul emphasizes is to have control over yourself. He starts off by saying that this saying is trust, trustworthy. He says, this is advice that you can hold on to. No matter what, anything else you might hear from other people, this is. You need to pay attention to. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Now, for most of my young Christian life, whenever I would read this passage, I always thought that it meant that the desire itself was noble. Well, if he wants to lead, that must be a good thing. But what Paul is saying is that the, it's not the desire that's noble, it's the task. That is noble. The office of overseer, the, the position of authority over God's people. The question is, is the man noble? Because unfortunately, there are many out there who are not noble who desire positions of authority. And they do not fit the guidelines that Paul lays out here. Paul says, uh, therefore, an overseer must be above reproach they must live their lives in such a way that they are uh, that they do not disappoint people by their behavior that their behavior is not in need of correction now i don't know about you but that's a source of immediate concern for me because if you know the sin in your own heart if you recognize the struggle that you have in your heart and mind you know that no one lives in such a way no one lives their life in such a way that they're never without the need for correction but this is the standard to strive for that's what we're supposed to chase after we're 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 not able to be perfect but we're called to live as if we we are chasing after holiness not if we are but that we should pursue holiness he goes on and says the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. That if someone wants to be a leader, if someone wants to, uh, 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 even if, if someone wants to carry and proclaim the name of Christ, the way that they live their lives should be in such a way that it is not uh, uh, negative, that it is not quarrelsome, that it is not uh, combative, that they should be welcoming, that they should be uh, able to, to instruct and teach others, not violent but gentle. These two verses alone should give pause to anyone who wants a position of authority within, within the church or outside of the church. But then he parallels these, uh, these leadership qualities with deacons as well. In verse 8, deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. These are the standards for all Christian leaders for elders and deacons and for all in positions of authority, they are called to live their lives in such a way that they are above reproach. That they live their lives in such a way that no one comes to them and says, I saw what you did. I know. And can you say that about yourself? Can you say that I live my life with a holy self-control. Would others be able to say that about you? The leaders that you submit your heart and mind to, can you describe them in this way, especially those who claim to be believers? Remember, to lead others is a noble task. This isn't just about elders and deacons. This is for parents, for teachers, for public officials, for leaders in social circles, and leaders within the community, for our, our governors and politicians. If they claim the name of Christ, do they bear the spirit and the fruit of self control? Because Paul has laid out the fruit of the spirit like a spiritual buffet. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the things that leaders are called to display. Paul is saying this is what it looks like in action. And so the question is, are those fruit evident in your life? Does your life display a spirit-powered self-control? For those of, you, or those of us who claim the name of Christ, are our lives lived in such a way that the very life we live points to Jesus Christ? After addressing that, Paul moves to his second emphasis in displaying a concern for others. The first aspect of this, Paul addresses home life. Picking up in verse 4, he says, he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? And then again addressing deacons in verse 11. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. It sounds excessive to... To judge someone by their family. But we even see this in 1 Samuel chapter 3. When when the Lord calls Samuel, he's pronouncing judgment against Eli. Not because of what Eli had done, but because of what his sons had done. The Lord said that his sons were blaspheming and that Eli did not restrain them. And as his father, or as their father, He was guilty of not leading them in a holy manner. And so as this scripture calls out to elders and deacons, the question comes up, uh, how do you care for your families? How do you love your wife? Are you leading your children faithfully? Because even as a pastor, I have to tell you, I struggle with this. I have four children, 12, 10, 8, and 5. And when one of my kids wants to dig in their heels and start shouting no, I have to respond in such a way that even my response points my child to Christ. And I don't always do a good job of that. So for all of you who lead in your home, in your business, in your community, wherever you are, for those of you who lead, What is your home life like? How do you treat the people who are closest to you? Do you try to manipulate those around you and control them with fear? Does your family feel like they have to walk on eggshells around you? Because Jesus reminds us in Matthew chapter 20 that even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. For those of you who lead in the home, are you leading like Christ? And then it extends not just within the home. In verse 7, Paul says, Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. And a similar thought in verse 13. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying here that you should live your lives in such a way that even non-Christians speak well of you. I've heard it said that you and I may be the only Bible that someone ever sees. And so Paul is saying that you are called as believers in Christ to live your life in such a way that the very life you live, the way that you treat others and conduct yourselves, points back to our risen Savior. Jesus says in Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16, that you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand And its light gives light, and it gives light to all in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before all others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That your life is a light to those around you, and it's called to reflect the love and the glory and the majesty of our Father. In 94 there was a band called the Newsboys and they took that uh, that scripture and put it in this way Shine make them wonder what you got make them wish that they were not on the outside looking board Shine let it shine before all men let them see good works and then let them glorify the Lord It's a musical reminder that our lives are Spiritual lights proclaiming the glories of Christ. And the question is, are you shining your light? In the early fourth century, uh, there was a, uh, uh, in the Roman city of Caesarea, uh, there was just, there was massive chaos, destruction, war, famine, plague. And church bishop and historian Eusebius recorded how the Christians would care for the people in the midst of all of this chaos. In the midst of all of this destruction, the church and the Christians were the ones caring for others. And Christian deeds were on everyone's lips. And the city praised God because of its Christians. Decades later, Julian the Apostate, a Roman emperor. What a horrible name to be known as. For the rest of history, he is known as the apostate, one who is opposed to God. But this Roman emperor was known for his hatred of Christianity. He was known for his embrace of pagan polytheism and modern, at that time, philosophy. And yet this person who is so opposed to to the very notion of God wrote this when it came about that the poor were neglected and overlooked by the pagan priests then I think the impious Galileans the Christians observed this fact and devoted themselves to philanthropy they support not only their poor but ours as well all men see that our people lack aid from us this Roman emperor, who is so violently opposed to God, could not help but notice and declare these Christians are doing great things. The life of a Christian is supposed to point back to Christ, not, not me, not this church, not you. We're called to be lights of Christ, not just by the way that you live your life, but the way that you show up in other people's lives. Do you have a concern for the people around you, for the people in your family, for the people in your church, for the non-believers in our community? Do you show a concern that points them back to Christ? who is your life pointing to? Finally, Paul gives his third emphasis, to be confident in what you believe. In verse 6, Paul says that he must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. In verse 10, Paul writes, and let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. And So the question for leaders, current leaders, future leaders, wherever you may lead, are you leaders of faith? Do you have confidence in the, fame, in the faith that you claim? Has your faith been tested and tried and found confirmed? Because faith is more than just memorizing Bible verses. It's more than just knowing your your Bible facts and trivia. Faith is knowing the Word of God and trusting it and living by it. This scripture is called to affect every aspect of the way that you and I live our lives. Not just the things that we do within these walls, but especially the things we do outside of these walls. And he goes on to describe what, or more accurately, who our faith is rooted in. In verses 14 and 15, he says, I, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to believe or behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Now, I don't know how familiar you, you are with uh, architecture and, and uh, especially the history of architecture, uh, uh, but especially buttresses are usually the braces that are built along the outsides uh, uh, of cathedrals and, and large buildings, large castles, things like that. But these pillater, piller, pillars and buttresses are used to hold firm. The structure. They lift the structure high. They hold it up and embrace it. They support it. Just like in Matthew 5, we're called to lift high the light of Christ. The mission of the church is to hold this truth firm and to lift it up high so the entire world around us can see. And what is this Truth. It's the mystery of godliness. That he was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. Now we don't know if this is a poem, if this is a hymn, or or some sort of creed, but whatever it was, it was widely known enough that Paul takes whatever this writing is, and he quotes it as it summarizes the life and ministry of Christ. That the Son of God came in the flesh. That his righteousness was strengthened by the Spirit. That the angels watched in awe. That his gospel is proclaimed and heralded to all people and as they believed in him, he was taken up. There was an Anglican priest and theologian named Walter Locke who took this passage and rewrote it in this poem. In flesh unveiled to mortal's sight, kept righteous by the Spirit's might, while angels watched him from the sky. His heralds sped from shore to shore, and men believed the wide world o'er when he in glory passed on high. This is the truth that we cling to the gospel, that the Son of God himself came in flesh. We just celebrated this through Advent, through Christmas, the celebration of God coming and being within his creation, Emmanuel, God with us. And the Son of God, as he came in flesh, he lived a righteous life without any sin in perfect obedience to the Father. And the angels watched in awe, as he went to the cross and transformed the enemies of God into children of God. And this gospel has been declared around the world that our Savior is not dead, but he rose again and is now sitting at the right hand of God, the Father. And the best news is that he's not done. He's coming back. And when he comes back, he's not coming in in humility and meekness as a gentle lamb. He's coming back as a victorious warrior and mighty king, coming to reclaim what is rightfully his. But until then, we're called to live in such a way that even those who are against the church see us, they see me, they see you, And they see the glory of Christ shining. It's not even that you may struggle. It's that you will struggle. You will make mistakes. You will struggle with doubts and fears. But the truth of the gospel is God saves sinners. He redeems them. He reconciles those broken relationships and he makes his people his own so the question is, are you confident in that? Do you know that? Not just do you have it memorized for a nice Sunday school answer, but the life that you live outside of these walls, is it rooted in that confidence? So I have to ask, how are you going to live your life today as we finish not just this uh, this day, but even as we finish this year and move into the new year, will you live your life caring only about your own immediate needs, an indulgent life without self-control or concern for others? Or, will you be so confident in your faith that you live a humble life of self-control, displaying a concern for those around you Christians and non-Christians alike in such a way that your life points them to the risen Savior. How will you choose to live? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we confess far too often our focus, our thoughts, our attention It's focused on our own needs and our own wants and desires. We confess, Lord, that we uh, we have not trusted in you like we say that we do. And we have not loved others the way that you have loved us. Lord, we confess these things, but we know that we do not sit condemned. But Lord, you have redeemed us. You call us your children, and so give us the strength. Be our strength as we go out into the world around us, as we go into the new year, as we go back to our homes, as we go to our jobs and our communities. Remind us that our confidence is not in our own abilities, but it's in what you have already done. Let us go out in that confidence and live in such a way that the very way we live our lives declares the glory of Christ. Be our hope and our strength and our our joy so that even a broken world sees the glory of Christ in everything that we say and we do. And it's in His holy name we pray. Amen.